Hi, welcome to OzBuzz. My name is Ozzy Jurok and today I have the privilege and the pleasure to speak to Rick Hogendorn from Victoria. He uh, has an interesting journey uh, of reinventing himself through various professions and I'm really happy that he took the time to come over the pond and talk to us. Hi Rick. Hello Ozzy, great to see you. So tell me a little bit about, uh, you didn't start out in the real estate business, did you? No, I am um, actually when I was a kid, I was captivated by Danny Gallivan doing all the um, uh, broadcasting of the Montreal Canadiens games and I wanted to be a broadcaster like him so I ended up going to BCIT, took broadcast journalism and my first uh, profession was uh, in the television industry so I, I started out as a, a re researcher and a sports reporter and, and that sort of thing I eventually got into news and uh, and then after I left that I went to uh, Barcelona for a little while Wow! and um, taught English for a year and a half and uh, grew my hair long <laughs> and a funny story I came back and landed in Toronto and uh, my uncle lived there and I came to his door with my long hair and without missing a beat he took one look at me and, and he said I had no idea Franco killed all the barbers. <laughs> well, that was the older generation and us with long hair. Right? Yeah, yeah. Well, you, you took it too hard because you don't, excuse me for saying it, but so you don't seem to have much hair left. No, it's, that's gone as a result of uh, doing large real estate projects. <laughs> I've lost all my hair. Yeah. Well, I don't have that much hair left either, Rick, so there, there you go. <laughs> it's overrated. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Actually, they say that people with lesser hair are far more sex sexy than, uh, than those that have, a, have the better hair. <laughs> At least that's what I believe. Well, know, it's, so. <laughs> I, I don't disagree. So you went teaching in Barcelona. You went, uh, you were dreaming about acting there for a while. So how did you get into the real estate business? Well, we, um, when I came back from Europe, I ended up uh, getting into the financial planning business and was selling mutual funds and, and uh, life insurance and doing all that financial planning stuff. And eventually, uh, about 1998, 99, I guess, we, uh, my wife and I, Sherry Krause, uh, read the Rich Dad, Poor Dad book. And that really turned yeah. our, our heads around. Um, and it was really about, uh, you know, the, the issue of leverage. Yeah, absolutely. And that's the main difference. Before that, it's funny, you know, you, you think you know what you're talking about. Um, I certainly don't in retrospect. Uh, I used to say to people, you know, the long-term trend or rate of return for stocks was say 10, 12% in the long-term trend for real estate as an asset class was yeah. eight to 10%, right. what would you rather have? Right. But of course, comparing those two as asset classes yeah. is ridiculous because it doesn't take into account the fact that you could put little or no money down exactly. on a property yeah. and you know your rate of return can be infinite. Yeah, it's funny. I mean, you read the book, Tony Robbins just put out a book a couple of years ago on investing and he missed that point altogether. Now, if his clients are all multimillionaires and they all pay cash for a hundred million dollars and then yes, then it, then it works. But if I buy a hundred thousand dollar house and put 20,000 down and go, the house goes up by 20,000, I made a hundred percent of my money. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no question. So that woke you up. That woke us up. We had, um, uh, we had, uh, uh, gone ahead and purchased a revenue property before that 
Um, but that sort of got the ball rolling and we started buying real estate, um, mostly with um, <coughs> friends and family as joint venture partners um, for basically from about 1999 through to 2008 and went a bit crazy with that. You know, I bought, for example, three houses in Saskatoon with Sherry's um, brothers, um, and that turned out to be a, a good thing. Yeah. Of course, there's always hiccups. Um, we, we bought one house on Elm Street. <coughs> yeah. Now, Elm Street is known as being a bit of a nightmare. Yeah, right? nightmare. Well, sure enough. <laughs> so we bought this house on Elm Street, and within a week, the city came and clamped down on the fact that there was an illegal suite in the house. <laughs> so somebody on the street had ratted uh, on us as the uh, new buyers owning a property with an illegal suite. So of course we had to go in and, and get that all fixed up. Worse, or, or actually thankfully uh, in one way, um, upon fixing the suite up, we discovered there was a problem, a major problem with the foundation, which was not discernible prior to as part of the regular so inspection. A, a latent defect. So twenty thousand bucks for you know fixing up the suite, twenty thousand dollars for fixing up the um, foundation. foundation, and luckily we were in partnership, so we could kind of share the load with that. But that was a nightmare. Well, the thing is, we all have to go through it, though, so you don't take it too easy. I mean, in retrospect, when you look at 10 deals, one perhaps goes, you know, you have yes. a tenant from hell, for instance, totally. or runs out with your fridge or whatever. But on balance, it's that question of leverage uh, that is so key, you know, that can create a life for somebody that with very little capital, actually, particularly if he has a partner like you do. So was that your first real estate investing opportunity then? The, the first one that we did actually was uh, happened um, in Victoria. Sherry had gotten into the habit of going to open houses as a social event with a friend of hers <laughs> on the weekends. And they yeah. would just go to open houses and hang out and then the next weekend they'd do it again. And this went on for months and months and months until at one point she came across this property that she thought would be perfect for her parents. And so she came back to me and said, I think we should buy this place. And I'm like, um, okay. Yeah. And yeah. went ahead and, and, uh, and purchased that. And they still live there today. And they're in their late 80s. So she, she was right. Yeah. So, okay. So what was your biggest mistake then? Well, I think there's two. There might be three. <laughs> the first one was my dad was... Um, uh, was an investor himself and when I was in my late teens early 20s we're living in Vancouver and he came to me and he said you know if you manage the tenants and cut the grass and all that sort of stuff I'll buy this house with you it was kind of like in the Fraser view area of Vancouver okay um, and it will split the profits right and being the genius young person, you know, I was, I said, yeah, I, I don't feel like it. You don't want to do it. Yeah, I don't want to do that. So he went ahead, did that, and, and pocketed about $100,000 in a year, Yeah. Oh, yeah. right? Of which 50 would have been well, mine, right? Which would have been enough to buy a house. And he never let you forget it either. Well, no, yeah, no, I, yeah. <laughs> so there was that one. Yeah. Another one 
was we had bought a pre-sale condo um, in Victoria and it was a kind of a snazzy new uh, development, environmentally friendly and all that sort of stuff. And we'd gone in with some partners. So we only had about a quarter share of, of this condo. It was quite expensive. And we didn't run the numbers for what would happen if we had to close. Ah. And we were intending to flip it, right. right? And that was very common at the time and there weren't problems at the time, right? Right. But we didn't run the numbers for what would happen if we had to keep it. Well, as fate would have it, we couldn't flip it. The market changed um, and we had to keep it. And we were underwater on our portion alone yeah. at 500 bucks a month yeah. negative cash flow. That's painful. Not, uh, yeah. Not only that, but then interest rates dropped. And of course, what they have at the bank is this wonderful thing of the greater of yeah. three months penalty yeah. or well, the your interest. Yeah. So <laughs> the interest rate differential ended when we were trying to get out of it yeah. subsequently was $60,000. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you, I, I, can't, I can't eat that. No. You know, no. so... We ended up having to keep that. It was a, you know, a, a loss for for years and years and years. Eventually, managed to get it into kind of an Airbnb kind of short-term yeah. rental situation, which was okay and stemmed the problem a little bit, and sold it a, a few years ago. But that was easily the the worst one, I think, from a small deal it perspective. It just goes to show that when you want to flip, you don't want to go yeah. long on your mortgage. Well, and you've got to run the numbers yeah. on both. Like yeah. what happens, if I'm trying to hold on to it, what do I have, what happens if I have to sell it quickly? And if I'm going to sell it quickly, what happens if I have to hang on to it? And if those numbers don't work both ways, don't do the deal. Right. You said there was a third? Yeah. <laughs> 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 uh, the first apartment deal that we did, we we ended up building. That's an apartment building. Yes, yeah. a, a purpose-built rental building. We made some fairly major m mistakes. Four of them, that were you know fairly large financial errors. That because we didn't know what we were doing. Right. And so, but we did backflips and you know somersaults and made it work so that we paid out our investors as we promised yeah. on time and on on. Uh, uh, on budget and all that sort of stuff, but but that was very stressful but and timing, thus no hair. But timing you know. helped, right? Yeah, we were very lucky. Yeah. We were very lucky because we were fully tenanted when we opened within 13 days of opening. Um, the value of the building was 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 solid, and it's continued to to run its course that way. But I'm I'm a kind of a I'm not an optimistic guy. I tend yeah. to think that the longer the <laughs> up goes, the closer I am to the cliff. <laughs> so, But you know, the thing is, <clears throat> we can talk about mistakes and we can talk about wishful thinking, but in the end, it was all the actions we take. Because you took the actions, at the very least, you learned something yeah. for the future. Yeah. And, uh, <clears throat> and really, to me, that's the most important part. If I hadn't made all the mistakes yeah. in my life, I wouldn't have had all the fantastic deals that came after because you yeah. went from that first apartment building into another one. Yeah, and and in the, in the second one, none of those problems, because I knew what I was doing by that time, I was able to avoid those, those four particular problems. <laughs> but the point is that you didn't see yourself as a developer for the longest time, no? 
No, I, I, I don't have, I can, I can personally tear down a house putting up a towel rack. Yeah. I'm banned from power tools in my household. <laughs> I have no skill set along those lines. So, you know, we were not thinking that we would build a single family home, let alone a, an apartment building. Right. But, uh, you know, as fate would have it, we, um, we got connected with, with uh, a builder who basically helped us along and, and uh, has helped us, you know, create a portfolio of buildings. But the great thing is you found a way to find investors. You were very careful with those investors. You wanted them to, to do well, and they know that, right? Yeah. And then you have a good builder. I mean, you put the thing together. That's really what a developer does. And that's, yeah. that's where the developer either sleeps or doesn't sleep. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't sleep. Um, <laughs> primarily because I'm always thinking about what, you know, like what could go awry. Now, the more time goes on, the you know some of these things can be put to bed like am i concerned that i'm going to get a uh, tenants for my building not really you know I'm, no. i i kind of have been past that but initially i thought i wasn't going to get any tenants for the building um do i think the building's going to fall over i did before now i don't think the building's going to fall over so yeah <laughs> <laughs> well so so how have you managed to do most of your real estate deals then? so on the apartment buildings how that started was we Sherry and I had basically sat down at the beginning of the year about you know January first week of January kind of thing and articulated what we needed to have in terms of um, passive income to retire we had a number and within a week Sherry had actually gone to this builder who um, she had been working with um, to find lots to build on and said you know we'd like to own an apartment building one day can we just talk to you about it and it was more just an exploratory conversation that we had in mind. Um, but uh, Margaret, the builder, came back to us and said, uh, well, why don't I just build you one? <laughs> and, and we said, okay. <laughs> and then I yeah. started to worry yeah. um, and had to work through a bunch of my you know, you know, fear thoughts and that sort of thing that, uh, that were keeping me from you know, going out asking people for money and all that kind of but thing. But the one thing is you did one, then you feel like looking at another one. Yeah. You know, when I bought my first house on a much smaller scale, I think my first house was $13,400. But I thought I had arrived. I wrote my parents, I own my house in 25 years, I pay it off. But the moment I was in it, I was looking, oh, could I buy another house? Right? Yeah. With you, it was an apartment building. <laughs> then let's have another apartment building. Is there any big turning points in your investing history that you can look back on? I think the, the, the rich dad, poor dad thing yeah. was one. Um, the, the doing the first apartment building was another. And I think that kind of relates to what you're talking about is that when you've done something, you, you expand your comfort zone. Right. And anything that kind of fits within that comfort zone fits within the comfort zone. I mean, I'm not uncomfortable building apartment buildings now, which sounds bizarre. Particularly when five years ago you were uncomfortable. Yeah, very <laughs> uncomfortable. Like, yeah. yeah. Um, so, so those kind of things, once you do that, because before you do something, your mind is just full of all the negative stuff that, that you can imagine. Yeah. You know, all the things that you can imagine are going to go wrong and how you're going to lose money or look yeah. stupid or whatever it happens to be. Um, but once I've done it, like I'm now, I don't even bat an eye at 
talking to somebody about, hey, by the way, you know, uh, like we're building another apartment building. Yeah. You, and I mean, how many units are those buildings? Uh, first one was 20. Actually, this is an interesting story. The first opportunity that we had to build an apartment building was 60 units. Yeah. And we passed on that because it freaked us out. Sixty. You know, 60, wow. oh my God, you know, <laughs> like I can't even imagine. How much money do we have to raise? So then an opportunity came to build 20. Yeah. And you because the mind yeah. works the way it does, I went, 20, yeah, piece of cake. Yeah. You know, so that kind of mental game uh, that really is helped so true. Us. I mean, and even on a smaller scale, we have in our groups, we have people that buy a house, that maybe buy a duplex, and then they're aiming for a fourplex. And I say, you know, actually a tenplex is just as easy to manage as a fourplex, perhaps even easier, right? And one of our members actually started buying 40 and 50 units. Now she only wants to buy 100 units and more, right? You get into that comfort zone yeah. and then you realize, hey, it's, you know, if you got the numbers right, you got the right people, you know, then it works. This is another thing that I think is, was a turning point. And, and honestly, this is this, you know, being a member of, of the Real Estate Action Group and, mm -hmm. and, and rubbing shoulders with other people who are doing things at that level. And so what happens is you start to realize that what you want to do is not an impossible human achievement. Right. I mean, if you look around on the planet, Every single building that you see <laughs> yeah. was conceptualized, by financed, somebody. and built by somebody. Yeah. Well, the Chinese have been investing in real estate for 2,000 years and have done well. So what, what is it that you think people don't invest in real estate more? What, what reason would it be? In my experience, a lot of the people that I know who have started out investing and then stopped had their first experience as a landlord having a tenant in their basement. Yeah. And what happens uniquely when you have a tenant in your basement is you are living with your tenants 24-7. That's right. And that is so different than having the tenant live across town. Yeah. I don't have to hear them coming in. I don't have to listen to their music. I don't have to, you know, whatever it happened, get embroiled in whatever drama happens to exactly. be going on. Yeah. And so I think that experience for a lot of people makes them go, I want nothing to do with being a landlord, which is very different than I think being a landlord when they're not underfoot. Yeah, I yeah, know it's true. It's funny, I mean, a good friend of mine has an office in his house and he feels threatened by his own family. He says, every time I get in the basement, there's always, George, you want to pick me up some milk when you go out later? So he boarded up the door from the main floor to the, to the basement and, and then leaves the front door in the morning, walks around the house and goes in the basement. <laughs> <laughs> so, but it's, it's, it's not the same thing, of course. But you're right, we make these experiences it doesn't even have to be a tenant from hell. It's just the constant no. somebody being on top of you. Right? Yeah. So that's yeah, <laughs> that we, makes it. We had a, a tenant who we inherited <coughs> um, in one of the houses that we bought, and her boyfriend would get off work at Kentucky Fried Chicken or wherever he was working at like one o'clock in the morning, and he had one of those big mufflers, you know, the yeah. muff mufflers that yeah. don't muffle. Yeah. And he would just pull up in front of the house at one o'clock in the yeah. morning, sounding like a Cessna airplane. Yeah. <laughs> and that's the kind of thing that happens, you know, when you're when you're living above the tenants. So 
Well, yeah. it's and you know that uh, I've always had a, a great appreciation for you and your, your straightforwardness. So now, not only that, are you an accomplished realtor, builder, developer? You're also an author, and uh, I think that story on on that first book that you wrote, "What Is Stopping You," and then you followed it up, "18 Holes to Your Goals." That first book took you a while to write. Yeah, I. I had been trying to write books probably, well, since I was in my early 20s. The first book that I wanted to write um, was called The Bachelor's Guide to Success. <laughs> and um, I, I actually had got a, ca a cartoonist to draw pictures of yeah. like, you know, socks disappearing yeah. from the laundry and, <laughs> and yeah. stuff like that. And I was writing that book on a Commodore 64. You remember yeah. the Commodore yeah, yeah. 64? Sure. Uh, and that computer, I don't know if you remember using it, but in order to tab, you'd have to go Control-Alt-7-J-9 <laughs> or something, yeah. and then, boop, it would go over. It was, it was a, a, a tedious process, and somehow I went Control-Alt-799 or something one day and deleted the entire book. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. that was my... You know, first experience uh, writing a book, and then I started. I I started a number of other ones, and and they didn't go anywhere. I wrote a book in Spain called Eternal Magic, which was kind of a kids' book, and I got yeah. 125 pages into that and stopped. And then I had this idea for a golf book, where you take, um, you know, the basic premise of golf and apply it to success. So sure. you you know you have a target, you have a limited number of steps to reach the target. You know where you're going after you hit that short-term target to the next one. Which and is a great concept. Yeah, yeah. and uh, I, I had reams and reams of research and ideas and writings, but I never got it done. And finally, one day, I just said to myself, what is going on? How is it possible that I can want to do something and not do it? Like, there right. must be some explanation for why I'm stuck. Yeah. And I just put that question out into the universe kind of right. thing and hung out with it. And, and all of a sudden the answer came back, you know, it's like, why am I not writing yeah. books was, uh, well, you don't want to write books. <laughs> and I kind of like, it stunned me when I first had that occur to me. And then I took out a piece of paper and I wrote down a bunch of reasons why I didn't right. want to write books. Like right. I didn't want to be criticized. I didn't want to, um, you know, have it be a waste of time. You know, I didn't want to be rejected by publishers, etc., etc., etc. And the more I thought about it, the more I realized it's not that I wanted to write books. It's not that I didn't want to. It's that I both wanted to and didn't. Yeah. And it was like pushing the gas and the brake pedal down on the car yeah. at the same time. You go for a little bit and you stop. And you just spin bit. your wheels. Yeah. Yeah. So I had pre prior to that, I had. Uh, kind of discovered this thing called the work of Byron Katie, which is a way of, of uh, questioning your story. And so what I did was I took all those reasons why I didn't want to write books to that process, asked, are, is it true? Can I absolutely know it's true? What happens when I believe this thought? I'm going to be criticized. Who would I be without it? And then turned all those thoughts around. And it was like the brake pedal came off. Right. And in about three days, two or three days, I wrote the rough draft of What is Stopping You, which is basically the story of what I just told you. But actually, also at the time, if I remember right, you, uh, 
there was an outside influence that gave you a purpose, right? You were trying to raise money for a good cause and a, and a golf tournament. Oh, so that was related um, to the um, uh, to the eighteen holes to your goals book. Okay. So subsequently, that um, writing that book. Um, happened about a year later kind of thing but you wrote and it very fast what, what was helpful again was that I had a purpose or f somebody for whom I was doing it right and so I had dedicated the proceeds of that sale of that book right. to a charity that I was on the board of but that's so interesting you know that when I when I look at uh, my life I never had a purpose that was outside my regular kind of thing maybe raising money for a good cause or I somehow got into action right away. There, this push-pull you're talking about wasn't there. It, it got away because the overall purpose was, you know, whatever the, I, I was tying it to. So that's important. But what I liked about that, that particular book is to, when you ask yourself the question, I want to do something, and then turn it around and say, I don't want to do something. I was at your opening, and you talked about your book, and uh, it's a neat little book. I read it on the ferry and I thought to myself, I want to lose weight, let me turn that around. And I said, I don't want to lose weight. And I was an epiphany. I really don't want to lose yeah, weight. Yeah. I enjoy myself. I don't think I'm overweight at all. Well, you know, I'm not obese, right? But I'm, I'm not even pleasingly plump. I'm below that. I'm, I'm actually quite good. I'm no longer going to beat myself up. I yeah. should lose weight. And so either if everybody asks themselves the question, whatever it is, you say, I can't do that, I don't want to do this, or I want to do that, ask yourself. The old story we used to teach is, you know, when you write down what you want to buy in real estate. Ask yourself why you want to buy it. It's not what real estate you want to buy, it's why do you want to buy it? And the answer to why is really the true answer, right? We yeah. do sometimes things because we think, it's expected of us, so we ought to do this, right? So that little book rattles your cage. I recommend it to everybody. What is Stopping You by Rick Hogendorf? Where can they get it? Uh, right now, as a gift from me, as I <coughs> hand it to you when I see you. Okay, um, <laughs> and where do they see and, you? <laughs> and I have it on my list of things to do. I must have a reason why I don't want to do this, <laughs> yeah. which is to, to make a, a, a free PDF out of it yeah. and just make it available to everybody. Yeah, or you know, make it a just, talking book. Yeah. It's the new world. Yeah. Well, look, you've won a lot of awards. I know you were the Real Estate Action Group Joint Venture of the Year Award, both in 2015 and in 2017. But it started early at the Athlone Boarding School. You were the most helpful junior boarder. What is that? <laughs> <laughs> my my parents were divorced when I was seven, I guess. So I I I was uh, shipped off to boarding school for about a year and a half. Actually, it would have been longer, but uh, the the school closed down. It used to be uh, over by the Boulevard in Forty Ninth. Oh, yeah. Okay. You know, and yeah. then. Uh, um, it was kind of like a, a other than St. George's. It was the other uh, all boys school in in Vancouver at the time, and uh, so I don't know. I just I used to help the little, <laughs> the littler kids with their you know making their beds and stuff. I guess. Wow, it got you an award. Yeah. I mean, now you're not only a developer, but you're also in the top two percent of realtors at Royal LePage in Canada. So I mean, how do you find time to relax and? Uh, I am obsessive about soccer, so that's yeah. what I do. Is yeah. I just I, I play, and you play played two you know. games of soccer yesterday. I'm president of the over 40s league in Victoria. There's 32 men over 40, over 55, uh, over 48, and over 55, and our oldest player is 79. 
Wow. Yeah. yeah that's, that's it's good. awesome. Yeah. It's awesome. Well, I'm heading to the ski hill and I'm, I'm skiing with somebody that's 80 and I have his picture on my fridge. I want to be skiing like him and he skis better than me, right? So if you do something on a regular basis, uh, that's fun. Yeah. And exercise, you know, it really works well because you sure as heck look, look very fat. Look, you're also fat or fit. Fat, fat, fat. Okay, make sure you enunciate that correctly, Ozzy. <laughs> fit, fit. fit. It slip. sounded <laughs> fat to me. <laughs> no, you look very fat. Actually, you do look like you lost weight. Uh, I have. Uh, for yeah, the listeners yeah. to know that he looks like he lost weight. It was a Freudian slip. Uh, you also <laughs> had a best human interest news story in 1985, and you were with the Canadian Radio and Television News Directors Association. So you had your share of being part of uh, books and awards and. Of course, you were on my book, Real Estate Action 2.0, where you had a, a great uh, story about to move or not to move. But what people uh, don't know about you is that when you send a slideshow that normal people send 10 slides for three minutes, you send, what was the record again? I don't know, 186 <laughs> or something like that. <laughs> and I, I'm the complainer. I said, come on, you can't do that many slides in three minutes, but you can. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I mean, the... <laughs> I don't know even where it, that started. It, yeah. Well, it probably started with you saying you, you can't do that many. And I went, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but the one thing that, um, that uh, you also are not just an all-around nice guy, a great success in, as a builder, developer, as I mentioned, and as a realtor. I mean, you and Sherry are doing such a great job with, uh, with any clients that come to Victoria and want to buy real estate. But you also have talents that other people just admire you for. I mean, I know that. Uh, did you bring Arnold with you uh, today? No. Ozzy, you know, it's that osmosis that we have between each other. You know, this is so fantastic. <laughs> and I've been sitting here, you know, looking out on the broad street here. You know, it's a nice panoply of, of uh, Christmas lights and everything. It's fantastic. You know, and it's always good to, to you know, to chat with you. Well, Arnold, it's a, I'm really privileged and honored to, to have you here. Did, is there any other uh, friends that you have with you from Hollywood? Or? Uh, you know, the most important thing talking about real estate is to make sure that every house you buy has a Christopher Walken closet. <laughs> well, that is, a, that is a great rendition of just a small sampling of the talent that you have. It's funny how you can take somebody else and then put words in their mouth and you, you uh, in a very short period of time, you get the, the essence of that person out. It's, it's a, the, I, I used to watch the Rich Little Show back in the 70s, yeah, you yeah. know, and he would do, um, you know, Richard Nixon yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and all these guys. And so I started mimicking him. And apparently, that according to guys that do a lot of impressions, it's easier to mimic somebody who's doing the mimicking yeah. than it is to actually mimic the person themselves. Oh, interesting. Because they're, they, they tend to exacerbate, you know, the certain characteristics, you know. So, for example, with Arnold, it's, you know, this, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and, you know, it's I mean, funny, yeah. and that's, that was the first, trademark. that was the first thing I learned was yeah. just a, <laughs> You know, and then after a while, I started to get the cadence of it, yeah. and then you can you can talk like they do, um, and sometimes they're just micro impressions where you only have a, a line or yeah, two. Yeah. But but there's others where I can 
literally talk like that person. Yeah. I got um, uh, assigned, not assigned, but I had the opportunity to be an MC for an awards dinner one year and it had a theme of James Bond and I yeah. had no idea. I, I didn't do any of the James Bond actors and so on. So I would drive around in my car and I would read all the street signs as if they were being read by Sean Connery. Yeah. And I can remember reading this one sign that I, when I'd pass it, you know, yeah. in my regular travels, it was, it was a, a place called Fitness World. Yeah. And I would just say this over and over again, and eventually I got fit, fit, fitness, fitness world. <laughs> it's, 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 I'm going to take a course at fitness world. Yeah. And it's, it's more like it's, you know, yeah. the S is SH, yeah. and yeah. the world is more like Herald. Yeah. So yeah. it's fitness world. Yeah. And now, of course, I can talk like Arnold. Like, uh, you know, well, I can't talk like Arnold. <laughs> 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 now, that was making an impression of an impression. Right. <laughs> Well, now you're always a lot of fun to be with, but I can't let you go without you. What would, advice would you give to somebody just starting out as a real estate investor? Oh, okay. Um, I think that the most important thing that that kept me, if we hearken back to what I said earlier when I was in my early 20s and I had this opportunity yeah. with my dad and quite frankly, it was pride in part that got in the way, mm -hmm. right? That I just was, you know, like, no, that's not the way I start out doing this. And, and a lot of people that I know who want to get into real estate have pride that keeps them from talking to their own family about, hey, is if I found a good deal, is it possible that you might be interested in investing or partaking in that in some way? And it's a simple question. And I think that would be one of the first things is to don't be afraid to ask because you never know what the person is gonna say. They might say no, they might say yes. And I can remember putting in an offer on a property, and this has happened to me three times, Ozzy, in my life, where I have phoned somebody up as the first person I was calling about getting money and they said yes. Yeah, yeah. there you go. The first person. In, in fact, right now, money is plentiful. I mean, I remember times where there just was no money, but today, I mean, a dentist, or a lawyer, or any professional has a million, two million in the bank. They're getting 1%, they're not pleased with it, and they'd probably be happy to earn five or 6% or more in a joint venture where they didn't have to do the work. Yeah. You as maybe a young guy, young gal, could do the work and together you can create um, a beautiful uh, outcome because you know uh, it's a it's where money has no time and where the, the person has the time has no money it's a perfect match I think the other thing um, that I would advise people is to take a long view of your own education you know a lot of people will will be in their profession and then stop learning mm. You know, or they'll they'll be real estate investing uh, in one property and then stop learning. Like, there's no reason to ever stop learning and reading and figuring new things out and finding ways to you know reduce your risk or increase your return or whatever. You know, talking to, it costs you nothing to talk to somebody and get their advice. For example, hundred percent. So. I could not agree with you more. It's not 
just about understanding something at a certain point. It's personal growth, growing into your own future best through learning something new. Rick, it's been a wonderful pleasure to have you here. I want to thank you. I'm Ozzy Jurok with Rick Hogendorn. You can uh, catch us at ozbuzz.ca for other podcasts that we've done. Thanks for taking the time to listen and give us some feedback. Live life large. Mm-hmm.